Welcome to Real Indigenous, where the real Indigenous peoples get real about what's on our screen and everything in between. This week we are chatting with Noetta Harjo and bringing back our lost boy, Jason A. Snap. Baby boy has come back home. <laughs> so with me to join us in our discussion and talks about Indigenous films and such, and maybe a little talk about Dark Wind because we get to see a little Dark Wind or they might be talking about a Dark Wing Duck. I don't know. We'll find out. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Angela. I am a Nupiak and I'm excited to be back on season two of Real Indigenous, where we talk about all things Indigenous and we get sidetracked a lot, but hopefully we'll hear some really cool stuff about some upcoming streaming shows from our two guests. And like I said, baby boy came back home. He's been lost, <laughs> but now he's found. Holler baby boy him. here. Who, who, who is you? I'm baby boy reporting from the University of New Mexico Fine Arts Library in my office, Jason A. Snap, Comanche Muskogee. Uh, glad to be back seeing you guys, you beautiful faces. Was gone for a bit. What's it about? I haven't seen, when's the last time I talked to you guys? It's been about three months, I guess, maybe? Something like that. But yeah, it's good to good to be back and see you guys. And talk. All the fans were asking about you, wondering where you went. So All the four fans. <laughs> All four of us. <laughs> Tell us about you and who you are and why you're here and what makes you so special and what makes you so wonderful. My name is Noetta Harjo. I am Muskogee and Osage and Seminole uh, from Oklahoma. And I write for an entertainment site called geekgirlauthority.com. And typically I write TV reviews, TV recaps, and I have a column called The Indigenous Wired, which focuses primarily on indigenous creatives and their work in front of, behind of, and around the camera. That sounds excellent. Yeah, All no, right, it is Angela. legit. So you guys just go check out her columns. I tried. That's awesome. I tried. All right, so we got some real world, real life uh, reviewers of, of media and film and television. So we're gonna kind of pick your brains and kind of talk about like uh, what constitutes indigenous films. And also if you guys are up to it and are able to, we'll talk about Dark Wind since you guys got the, got the uh, pre the screeners for that got to watch it. So basically, Angela's going to kind of chime in and kind of straighten us up. If we're going to talk about Darkwing, Darkwing, now you've got me saying it. <laughs> Darkwing, Dark. <laughs> it's actually Dark Winds. Dark Winds. And I'm not just saying that because we're Indian. It actually is called Dark Winds. It's Was not it like always Walmart's Dark Sonics. Maybe, no, maybe the they book is it. not. The, the book is Dark Wind. Singular wind, one wind. Well, they, they updated it because that's how everyone talks now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch Dark Winds after you come back from Sonics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this series is based on the books by Tony Hillerman, who is a native Oklahoman, but he's not native, but he went to an Indian boarding school mm -hmm. and he graduated from OU with his degree in journalism and he was a reporter for a while he is a world war or was a world war ii veteran for the army the u.s army in the european theater and used i guess those experiences to write this mystery series set in navajo hopi zuni that that part of the world which is where jason is now right You're in yeah well albuquerque i'm in yeah it surrounds me jason to the west our local Tony Hillerman right now. That's what I call myself all the time. You, do you have your OU degree? You've got your degree from OU, right? I do, yeah. 
Yeah. So, oh, it took me all... like 10 years, probably. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's the Indian education uh, timeline, 10 yeah. to 20 years. And that's a bachelor's degree. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a PhD or a Jewish doctor. <laughs> Noetta, don't you have your, your, you've got your master's from OU, right? Bachelor and master's, yeah. So, but not in anything that I'm doing right now, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. Yep. Like. So these novels came out in the 80s because I remember my family burned through them. I mean, as soon as they came out, we would buy the books. My friend from high school, her mom was friends with the Hillermans and they had lots of pictures and autographed books from him and everything. And I, I just remember, you know, native and non-native people alike both loved these stories and it wasn't until later that people started saying oh where did he get all this information he's sharing some stuff that maybe he shouldn't be sharing and I think it'd be nice to be able to talk a little bit about that is it appropriation what you know what what's going on with that so I don't know who wants to start no do you want to since you're a guest you want to start Sure. Um, I'll be honest. I don't know a whole lot. I've heard the name Tony Hillerman, but I don't, I haven't read any of his books. And then I know that my family hasn't either because they weren't really big on, I guess, the controversy around the books, you know, a white man writing native stories kind of thing. So whenever the, I heard that this was coming out, the only thing I knew about it is there was a movie once made with Wes Duty and Adam Beach. And it kind of, it's, using the same characters I don't think it's using the same story so uh, leap horn and chi and you know when it comes to the the appropriation question I, I guess it kind of for me it just really depends on whether or not he gave credit to those who told him the information that he needed to write his books and uh, you know the same could be said a lot about about more modern writers today who are borrowing from different cultures as well so I guess you know, it's a really really touchy subject and one that I don't think anybody really has an answer to so so who are some of the other authors that you're thinking of that are non-native that are writing native stories to, that just come to mind well nothing not any non-native ones but I, I think right now the most controversial one is Rebecca Roanhorse and whether or not her content is because she's not Navajo and she's using Navajo content for some of her books and I know she's using Aztec now so uh, how appropriate is it uh, how appropriate is it for you to use someone else's culture in your writings if you haven't received I guess the permission to do so uh, the correct permission to do so so that's kind of what I was thinking along the lines of well and we've, we've kind of touched on that in our series here talking about previous guest Marley we talked about uh what was that series trickster trickster yeah that that it, yeah that's example because was it the producer that ended up <laughs> she was the showrunner michelle oh what was her last name i can't remember oh, it was a latimer latimer yes michelle mm -hmm. latimer she was a showrunner and claimed to be indigenous claimed to be uh one of the canadian tribes up there and then while the show was going on uh, admitted that she wasn't so um that was a big big deal just i know that it it was part of the reason why she was let go. I don't know that it was the reason why the show was canceled though. So, um, which it was a really good show. I watched it. It was a thought, really good show. Yeah, it was a really great story and I wish they would have continued it and maybe someday somebody will, but I don't know. There's just some, there's so many native writers out there. I don't see why there, anybody would need to steal content or say one way or another that, you know, I guess 
falsely identify themselves in order to make it because there's plenty of stories out there. No, I, I agree. I mean, it's like at this point, <clears throat> we have so many producers of native content and fiction and we have more than enough that we don't have to rely on, which <clears throat> rely on uh, non-Indigenous people, which makes this this show for me, the Dark Winds, I'm very, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the, by this whole concept. Like this is kind of like the third kind of show that's come out. That's like largely indigenous helmed. You know, the producers, the, the uh, staff, it's a, it's an indigenous staff writer, uh, writers. And you have uh, Chris Ayers directing, I think all the episodes. I actually haven't watched all of them. I've only, I've only watched about half and I need to actually finish really soon because I have a deadline coming up, but I'm telling on myself, but yeah, it, but what's fascinating about this particular enterprise is that it's, it's, it's a Tony Hillerman joint, so to speak. It's his, it's based on his books. Uh, white people have long been fascinated by what would you say? Like witchery, dark, you know, black magic, you know, yeah. the, the more risque elements of indigenous culture. And so to me, not to talk down upon you know, his work. And I, I don't really know his work that well either. I kind of knew he, I knew he was from Oklahoma and he lived out here, but it is very white to create this whole, you know, series of books and show a show about like, uh, you know, this angle, the angle is basically, you know, at least originally from what I thought is it's, it's, you know, black magic. It's like dark, it's bad medicine. It's like uh, sorcery, Navajo sorcery and Navajo people from what I know, are very, very, you know, they're very resistant. They don't want to mess with that stuff. They don't even want, to. I know two people actually, I won't name names, but they wouldn't, wouldn't be part of the project just because of that subject matter. But um, that's, you know, that's their decision. It's everyone has their own just way, uh, reasons for doing what they do. This is the, and this show actually is like, um, it's not like, it doesn't, it's not like reservation dogs where, you know, you instantly connect with it it's hats like a, like what that's a half hour comedy it's like you instantly but the, the jokes come and it's like it's not trying it's not trying to um, necessarily teach you anything as where the, th- the episodes i've seen of dark winds so far it seems like they're show specifically showcasing navajo culture and navajo tradition uh, ceremonies and and trying and in there like almost teach do like teaching within this show like here's like a the canalda ceremony you know it's like the the women, the women's ceremony when they, you know, puberty ceremony. And there's, you know, whereas Reservation Dogs was not, I don't see Reservation Dogs really trying to do stuff, trying to do that. They're just telling jokes, telling a lot of, you know, not fart jokes, but just like really just kind of, it's more accessible. It was very accessible to me, probably because I have that background from Oklahoma too, I guess. But I live here now and I know that I know a lot of the public cultures and Navajo culture and I'm familiar with them. I wouldn't say I know them, but so yeah, it's a different beast, this show. This this and it's long. It's longer. It's like what, 47 minutes or something. With the commercials, it's probably an hour. But the screeners that we have, it just basically goes right through it. Um and it's it get it's not the humor it, it it doesn't it's not as it's not trying to be funny as much, you know. There's little ele- elements here and there of humor. But um, I don't know, Noetta, did, what did you, uh, did you see all of them? Have you seen all of them now? Not all of them. I'm in a, mm-hmm. um, I'm in the middle of a recap pile that I'm having to cipher through. Um, I uh-huh. have watched the first two though. And I, yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it's a lot of introductory to the world, to the, to the language, because a lot mm-hmm. of it is in Navajo, uh, to the mm-hmm. language and to kind of how things, 
like the tribal police operates and just kind of how the community interacts with each other when it comes to, you know, dark content like this. And mm -hmm. there's also like this supernatural feel to it also about, you know, foreshadowing things that are happening, foreseeing things that are happening. And to mm -hmm. me, it was, it was a little too much supernatural too much it was like it, it was just like way too much mm -hmm. too fan too much fantasy for me um it's, it's not mm -hmm. really realistic which i guess in storytelling that's kind of how you want it to be but at the same time you know those kinds of things can give non-natives the wrong idea about you know native people and, and who they are and kind of what they go through whenever they have ceremony or when they have um when they get together for any kind of gathering so that's that's mm -hmm. kind of what I'm feeling right now. I'm sure as I watch more of this series that it'll, it'll kind of, I'm hoping it'll even out a little bit, but you know, there, mm -hmm. I did notice that there was these little, you know, there was one scene where uh, one of the guys says, why are you Navajos always late? And they're like, well, we run on Indian time, you know, things like that. And I'm like, ha, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> little and that's characteristic things that, you know, we all make fun yeah. of, so. <laughs> and, and it kind of falls flat though sometimes too. Like the jokes where in Reservation Dogs, you have like, I don't know if it's, if it's the delivery or or maybe the context or the, you know, I don't want to say the writing so much, but just like maybe all of those things, those jokes that, that they, it, it doesn't come naturally in this show. Like when they say, oh, well, this is, we run on Indian time. And it just kind of is like, oh, I mean, it, that, it, the, joke, the joke doesn't really like land. Right. You know, it's just like, we're teaching you white people how we, live and get around in the world or whatever i don't know but yeah yeah it, it's kind of like a it kind of falls flat sometimes some of the jokes and i don't know if that's because of the content of coming from the book i don't know if that's part of the book or any of the books you know or if that's just how the writers felt like oh we're just going to put this in there just to kind of give it a little bit of a more native native feel to it but yeah it yeah. doesn't hit sometimes so yeah no the books mm -hmm. do do a little bit of instruction about the culture, you know, lip, you know, mm -hmm. the lip pointing, the Indian time, it's done when it's done. That came up in the books a lot. But I, on, you know, on this podcast in the past, we've talked about how with this new wave of indigenous storytellers, we feel the need to just kind of dump out all of the tropes and mm. just kind of get them out of the way in the first couple episodes. Is that something that y'all noticed in in this series too? Kind of in, in some aspects, but I mean, it, it's almost like, I remember when I was talking to Sterling about reservation docs, he said, you know, we're just going to throw you in the middle of the story and you just kind of, kind of got to get a feel for it. I kind of felt that way. And this one as well, you're just kind of thrown into the middle of the story. Um, yeah, there, there is a murder, you know, um, investigation going on. So you, and you know that that's basically what this, this story is going to be about, you know, but it's right in the, you know, you, you don't really, you don't, if you don't know anything about, you know, the culture or the tropes or anything, it's going to be a good mystery for you to watch if you like crime mysteries and stuff like that. But if you do know, for me, since I do know a little bit about, you know, Native cultures and, you know, my best friend is Navajo. So to me, it was like, okay, let's just see kind of what they pull out, what, what they're going to, you know, what kind of rabbits they're going to pull out of the hat. And also, you know, I want to support the native, the native creatives behind it. And of course the native cast and everything too. So I think that that's another reason to watch, but yeah, it, it does kind of throw you for a loop here and there, but um, yeah, you're just kind of thrown into the story and you're and slowly given that instruction and it kind of builds with it. So you know, there's the other disorienting thing that um, 
that they that they throw in there is it's like the setting the time setting is like the 70s and so you have like um kyle gordon he drives he shows up in this really badass fancy like el camino i think it is i think is it in el camino i can't yeah. remember it's like a 70s uh souped up he steps out and he's got like the 70s haircut which is kind of like dorky kind of looking like swoping like kind of he looks like the guy almost like from um he doesn't look like him but the same haircut like the um no country for old men guy you know who kills everyone sugar you know anton sugar he has the same haircut with the, but no it was like a bowl haircut handsome. wasn't his like a yeah bowl it's kind of well, it's kind of like this side thing i don't know it's, like a swoop. it's a swoop yeah it's like swoopy oh, thing oh it's very 70s and he has this like kind of this get up of just like this belt kind of not belt bottoms but it's it's very 70s Every, everyone wears 70s outfit like clothes so that kind of throws you for a loop uh yeah the cars are really fascinating but the music actually kind of throws me off that really disorients me because it seems like there's this really emphasis there's this hard emphasis on a lot of 70s tunes that some of them i'm not familiar with but they kind of just like they throw those that music in there to punch as a scene up and i'm not sure exactly if it works or why they're doing it you know it kind of distracts me the whole series is set in the 70s were they in the books, Angela? I didn't think. I thought they were in the. Well, the, the books 80s, came out in the. The, the books came out in the eighties, and it was contemporary to the time. So it's it's interesting that they chose to set it in the seventies. I want to know why. Yeah, I don't know that either. And like Reservation Dogs, also for critics, they pushed out this big sheet of all the characters and all the backstory, like a lot of the information. And I haven't really gotten. I don't. I haven't gotten any of that kind of information for this show which I was kind of like a little disappointed because I wanted to kind of dig through that. But did you get anything like that, Noana? Like no, any kind of like... I, they just said, here's a screener. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Here you go. Like, <laughs> and what is yeah. it streaming on? I can't even remember. AMC Plus. Okay. But it is going to be on AMC. It's TV channel, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, June 12th. 12th, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that same time Rutherford Falls comes out? June 16th, yeah. Okay, so they're going to be right on top of each other. Well, sort of. Rutherford Falls, will the whole season drops on June 16th, whereas this one is week to week. Uh, the mm. first episodes, I believe, are going to be available on the 12th. And it looks like there's just six episodes, from yeah. what I can tell. So who's the showrunner? Yeah, like a guy named Graham Rowland was the creator. Calandra? Vince Calandra? Yeah. From Broken Bow? Yeah. <laughs> nuh -uh. Yeah, <laughs> Sarah directed the pilot. Uh, producers are uh, Zon McLaren, George R. R. Martin, Robert Redford, Tina Elmo, Vince Garderis, and Calandra and Chrisaire. Okay, so Redford even, is uh, in there. What's that? <laughs> Redford is in there because he bought the rights to these books when they mm -hmm. when they first came out so i didn't know if he'd given mm -hmm. up on them or not so i read something real quick today that where he like had a meeting with um george rr R. martin in 2016 and they were just like i have the he's like i have the rights to these books and how do you i'd like you to help me make this and george rr R. martin was like oh yeah i used to see tony hillerman at the albuquerque press club all the time and i'd love to support his work so yeah let's do it and that was back in 2016 yeah and i don't really i haven't heard them hype george martin being on this there's a lot of big names attached to it for sure you know vince Calad calandra was a sharp object so i like that show a lot 
writers and, are all Native American, so. Yeah, they're all Natives, like uh, Brazel, Benali, Maya Rose Ditloff. Okay. Uh, and I can't remember the third one. Actors are all are, are Native, too. You know, if the other thing, I'm all over the place, I'm sorry, today. But there's no Navajo accents, except even uh, Jeremiah Batu, who is in this, I don't really think he has a Navajo accent. So it throws me off when you have all these... Um, and I don't know if that's necessary. To me, it's, I would like to hear that, but, uh, but yeah, here, seeing all these native actors that are playing Navajos and none of them have like real Navajo accents. It's got like, it, it kind of throws me off because Zama Claren's actually Lakota. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. And not that everyone needs to be Navajo, but I don't know. That's a good discussion possibly to have for another time, but it's like, um, did the did, did the actors on Reservation Dogs? I don't. Was that a critique too that none of them had country accents or Oklahoma accents or whatever? I don't I think remember. we discussed that um, mm-hmm. since most. But I think we did discuss that most of them for, were from the north, and that only Lane was mm-hmm. local. Lane was the only one. Yeah, it was only Muskogee, which is a lot. That's usually how it is with like because uh, they have so many Indi- uh, Canadian actors that are very seasoned. You see that like happen a lot. Yeah, stealing well, jobs. No, yeah, stealing. isn't Gene Braverock? <laughs> Eugene Braverock. He's from he up does north. Appear in it. Yeah, he's he does appear in the series. I actually just saw him in the episode I just watched. See, Elva Guerrera's in it too. She's also in Reservation Dogs. Oh yeah, she's the. That's the one. Yes, I recognized her. Yeah, she's she's really good in that role. Well, the guy who plays Jim Chi was in the Twilight Saga. <laughs> He will always be remembered for that too. <laughs> oh, is that Kyle Gordon? Gordon. Is that that is? Yeah. Okay. I didn't watch any of those. I don't know. The wolf pack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just had to take Kel's word for it. I know why you guys watch those shows. <laughs> for the beef. <laughs> Sparkly vampires. <laughs> Shirtless wolf boys. The, boys. <laughs> <laughs> the beefy dudes does lou diamond or uh west duty show up not that i've seen <laughs> so well, only in the third episode i don't know how many, yeah, have seen the, how many of you have seen the original dark wind movie i have not i have not oh okay <laughs> so I was going to ask it because they turned it into a like a limited series on pbs that was you know mystery that series and they had like three episodes i want to say i couldn't remember if it was a like they recut the west duty one or not for that my memory was that it was originally for pbs and it was a mystery like program and almost kind of like what they do with what's that guy's name the guy who does all the mysteries wears the hat smokes the pipe they updated him with sherlock holmes Huh? Sherlock Holmes? Yeah, Sherlock Holmes. Kind of like okay. how they did Sherlock Holmes. Where Sherlock Holmes, they would do an episode, like a two-hour episode, right? And then like maybe a year later, they'll do another two-hour episode. And that's yeah. kind of how I felt they did with this. It was the Joe Lee Porn, uh, Jim Chi murder mystery show, basically. And so they mm-hmm. adapted like shows. And the one that I found was Skinwalker and um, Thief of Time. And that was with uh, West Duty and Adam Beach. Okay, yeah, it's and, showing three three episodes. 
You do you know what the, does it say what the third one is? Skinwalkers, uh, Skinwalkers and Navajo Mysteries and a thief of time. Coyote Waits. Coyote Waits, okay. That's it. Okay, so yeah. And those three were directed by Chris Ayer, right? They were. So Chris Ayer is back directing again. And so then the original, well, I don't, I won't say original, but the first time they attempted a movie of this was that Dark Wind movie. And that was directed by Errol Morris, who is mostly a uh, documentary filmmaker. Documentary guy, yeah. Yeah. And I think this was his first or only time that he went to a fiction filmmaking. It was uh, Lou Diamond Phillips and Fred Ward as the main characters. And so, Fred was, Ward. You know, yeah, yeah. Right. R.I.P. Fred Ward. But yeah, I mean, R.I.P. But your go-to uh, natives in yeah. the 1990s, I guess. <laughs> your non-native. Hey, dark hair. To play yeah, dark hair. <laughs> <laughs> and so I remember it was kind of a low-budget, like not that great of a movie. In my memory, and I like Errol Morris, and so, but I don't really have much of a memory of it. Gary Farmer was in it too. Gary Farmer's back in it, yeah. So is he in this one too? Not the episodes I've seen. Okay. I've seen, yeah. Okay. I don't think he's in it. And so then the TV shows, I remember they came out. It was kind of post like smoke signals, right? So it was like a like when the Indian stuff was getting hip again. But what years they come out? It's showing uh, Ot three. So Skinwalker oh, okay. was. Ot two, and then Coyote Waits and Thief of Time were Ot three. And so those really didn't have much memory for me either. I recall when I was a kid that my dad was into these Tony Hillerman books, and I've, I've listened to him on the as we're traveling. I'm sure we listened to this one, but I, I like it always felt very bland the writing. But all like the native kids that I knew, even like some of the Navajo kids, liked Tony Hillerman books back then, and. I think what people liked about it was the insight of, you know, the Navajo culture, the inside of this, what's going on. And, and I'm sure like the, the, the magical Indian kind of thing that happened was kind of like what they were, what people were digging on too. Cause he was a best-selling writer. Is that correct? I mean, obviously. Oh yeah. Millions of copies. And so I think that was a lot of people's like love of, of, of Hillerman. I know, but you know how I feel about the mystical Indian trope. Not my favorite. Yeah, definitely. It plays to the, this definitely plays the idea of like, I mean, the whole concept of this show really in the books is just like the fascination with like the, this exoticness of, sorry, I mean, cheeseburger, but <laughs> <the> exotic. Cheeseburger? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hungry, but not anymore. Good. But yeah, it's just the concept itself is a little flawed. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's the exoticness of native culture. I mean, if you get right down to it, that's what this, the books are about. You know, it seems to me, at least, that's the selling point. It's like, you know, ooh, here's in, these in, you know, Navajo people and what are they doing and what are their ceremonies and we're going to have a mystery in the, on, the, on, the, on the lands and it's like it's a, there, you know, there's some black magic, there's some dark, you know, bad medicine, and, you know, sorcery. And, and that's, you know, why people are always fascinated by things like that. It seems like, I don't know. And that's, am I right? Am I wrong? Well, you know. Well, I was I was going to say we we've, we've certainly digressed in our podcast talking about tall man mm -hmm. and dear woman. So you know we're equally as guilty, I think, as being fascinated by the creatures that mm -hmm. are with us. Yeah, but you know it, when I think about how Sterling uses those characters, how he used it, it's it wasn't for evil. I don't. Yeah, it wasn't like a. It wasn't like for evil purposes or you know kind of exploitation. I guess. Maybe that's, that's the word I'm looking for. That's, that's a like good he's word. not ex 
exploiting the culture, his own culture, native culture. He's like incorporating that organically into his story and making it work. Whereas where I see like maybe a Tony Herman type of writer who's like, I'm going, I'm fascinated by this exoticness. That's not, I'm not part of this culture. And I want to figure out a way to like, I want to find out what it's all about. And then I'm going to like incorporate that into my story, even though it's not for me to really do because it's not my culture. But so into that at its source, that's problematic, I guess, you know. I think it's not really about what's the magical Indian with Sterling's. It's not focusing on the phenomenon of this magical beings or these magical events happening. It's not magical to us. It's just a fact of life. It's a matter of who we are. So Sterling treats it like this is just what it is and how it is. Whereas some of these non-natives and sometimes maybe even natives who tell the story want to focus on that and make that the subject and make that the story and not the story of the people, but the story of that event or that, that certain individual. I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts on that, Noetta? I agree. I think that um, with Sterling, it's, it's, it is an organic thing because these are stories that we've heard our entire lives. You know, those of us who grew up in the culture or around the culture, it wasn't a big thing for us to, you know, hear a story about dear woman or dear lady and tall man and, you know, any other supernatural beings that, you know, maybe out there get you if you do something wrong. But for most non-natives, you know, they want to believe that natives can talk to animals. They want to believe that we can say some magical words and, and, you know, goodness is going to come to you in some form or fashion, mainly money, I would think, you know, they want to believe that these things are real. So they're going to gravitate towards the, the shows and, and the movies that portray that, you know, they want to believe in the Pocahontas story, you know, that, that that kind of thing really happens when, you know, and then when they find out the truth, they're, they're kind of turned off by it. And then they want, they just go back to what, you know, the fantasy part of it. And then that's what they want to see. So mm-hmm. I can see how some, some of these uh, TV executives would prefer that we be the magical Indian and, and, and uh, embellish our culture a little bit for them. But, you know, it's, it's, I guess with Sterling, it's a good thing he's doing it in his way. Cause then it, you can, it shows that it's not just, it's not something to be embellished. It's something to that we take seriously in our cultures and that we in a way respect and um you know it's not something to me you know for some of those of us who really really believe in those things you, you don't make fun of it you know you, you don't like the owl thing you don't play with owls you know <laughs> so so yeah yeah i totally agree with that so that begs the question in the writer's room full of natives how well did they navigate that balance between or did they? Did they, it, what, in what you've seen, have they been able to navigate the difference? From what I've seen so far, you know, they, there, there is one scene where they're going into a sweat, but they don't actually go in there. And then you see them coming out. And so mm-hmm. nothing actually happens during the actual ceremony, you know, well, something does happen, but they don't talk about it during the ceremony. You don't know that what has happened in ceremony until after everybody is out of the tent and then they start talking about what's happened or the warnings and stuff, but they never really say, Oh, something came to me and told me this, you know, or that you don't see the vision or anything, you know? So in a way they've kind of, it's an, it's an implication, you know, that something, they saw something, something was happening, you know, that there is, there is something otherworldly that is going on, but there's also a ground, like a groundedness to the characters that are like, Oh, it's probably not what it is. We're going to investigate and get down to the bottom of it. You know, so they do kind of try to get a balance there. It's not 
so outlandish, but there are some things that happen in the first two episodes. That you're like, if, if you're native, you're probably going to be like, Ooh, that you don't want to mess with that. But if you're not native, you're going to be like, Oh, I wonder what happened. How did that, how did that happen? You know, how, how did, what, what did this person go through for that to happen to them? My memory of the, of the story is like, so the young police officer is practicing to be a medicine man. Is that correct? Not from what not I in the, Okay. Not in the books, not in the books. So mm-hmm. somewhere either in the books, it wasn't in the books. I don't think, I don't remember him. Oh, okay. I might be thinking he was, he was kind of a mess up I mean, or what, a, isn't he kind of a, is well, not great at his job and that's why he gets attached to the other guy. Am I remember that wrong? Um, and this one, he, he does mention that his uncle or grandfather or something like that was a medicine man. So he, he is aware of, of, of that part of the culture, but he's been so removed from it that he doesn't really believe in all of that. That's kind of what they're, they're playing him as. And then he hasn't really screwed anything up yet, but Zon McLaren's character, Leapborn, he, he can, he knows what he's up to, you know, he doesn't even have to ask them. He already knows what he's doing. So. And I think that's one of the points of the book is that this was Someone, an Navajo who was assimilated. Yeah. So he was assimilated to the young one and the older guy was the more knowledgeable one, I guess. Okay. It kind of plays into that whole like a good guy, bad guy, bad guy cop trope or like, you know, you have like, you know, the conflict, what there's like a Mel Gibson and then you have like a Danny Danny Glover. Yeah. Opposites. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, and there's very much that kind of dynamic. And so is is the other one more like, so maybe maybe I have it backwards. Is the young one more cynical <laughs> then and more like not believing in whatever magical shit's happening? And, and the other one's more of them about knowing what's going on deep down? Yeah, he's more open, yeah. more open to, to the, the magical mm. side of things. So yeah. Okay. Right. And I wonder like, I almost, I wonder how close this is to the source material. Or like if it even, because I, I I haven't seen any of the other ones. I wish I, it would help to, to for me to put those side by side. But I, I wonder if they're like any, if they've changed things up. You'll know, Angela, when you. I know. I Yeah. Since I haven't got the screeners and I went ahead and downloaded the book so I could zip through it pretty quickly before it, the series drops. And who is Jim Chi? Which one is Jim Chi? The young one or the old one? He's the young one. All right. So the according to Wikipedia which is always the truth. <laughs> it says that she is a staunch believer in traditional Navajo culture. He is studying to be a traditional healer at the same time that he is a police officer. That's not how it's coming across. So I don't far remember it being that way. What we're watching. And, but I know like in one of the movies or the TV shows, they did talk about him being a medicine person or whatever healer studying to be one. So. And you know, they always say the book's always better than the movie because people who wrote the read the book or like oh i love the book and then the movie they didn't do any it's all different and it's yeah. I, I i have a feeling i know that there's like the female character the the cop the lady the the lady who plays the cop i think they brought her in mm-hmm. i read that i think they brought her in from a different story um, yeah i don't remember actually... there being a lady cop in the books at well, all it was i thought there was a lawyer no i didn't oh. one of them had a girlfriend for a hot minute in the book so it looks like that's what jim chi and this very attractive lady cop is that seems the direction that 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 story is going there's their story so in my memory i thought one of the one of those old shows there was a lawyer yeah i think you're right a native lawyer and 
they were, I don't know, that she, so why didn't they bring in a negative er, lawyer earlier? We weren't in the writing room, so. <laughs> I, would, I would just like not cling too hard to these past ideas that you might have of dark winds and assume that things have changed a bit in the, in the writing room. Tully. No, it has to be <laughs> that way. You must, you must be open to change. Well, does it pass the Bechtel test? I think that uh, I'm not going to answer that. I'm, I will let Noetta answer that. <laughs> I don't use these words, Angela. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> is it like how many women does it? Are there does two it women have? who talk about something other than men or what they're yeah. going to do about men or relationships mm-hmm. or. Yes, they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That does occur. Yeah, yeah, that does occur. Yeah. All right. More than one occasion. I'm thinking in particular, there's like, there's three, three different women in uh, Lee Porn's house and they're all doing their own thing. Although the, his wife is like, she seems very like stay at home kind of, she doesn't seem to have a job. Not that one needs a job, but it's a very yeah, traditional but, kind of like, yeah. like, I'm doing the dishes. Oh, she's like, let me wash your shirt. You have a stain on your shirt. And, and uh, yeah, it's very like kind of a cla- classic. Uh, I don't know what you would call that. Like, well, if it's set in the seventies, I would imagine she was a stay-at-home wife who tended the home. Probably so. Yes. Why do you think they set in the seventies? That's a good question. I want to know that. Really, I would like to know that too. Because the music's fun. crazy, distracting. They're playing. They like, want to use all that music. <laughs> they got. Right it almost the seems like that. Right, it's, like, it's like a Cameron Crow movie. You know, it's like set in the. <laughs> seven it's just like these weird like tracks just out of the blue and and i think they this white family in utah it sings along to this one random 70s song that i've never heard of and they're just like is it like chicken song or whatever i can't remember it's really like, really weird i was like i've never heard a song like that before <laughs> i i have a pretty good idea of like music chicken, in the 70s. Need a funky chicken something strange use some really obscure 70s songs was Black Magic Woman played at any time? <laughs> Not in the first three episodes. <laughs> but don't they in in the isn't it like in the the PR the trailer? Isn't there some sort of like magic season of the witch? That's it. Yeah. See, that put me off. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh. Uh, that's not good like that's like a weird that's a weird take on how to push this show out you know like they're already like witchery well, so exoticness. <laughs> So, Chris so if Ayer, I saw this as a Reservation Dog crossover, could we say that Big is actually at the Navajo Reservation solving mysteries? <laughs> <laughs> he plays very different. He's, yeah, Zon McLaren at this point, he's typecast, right? Because in Far- is he play a cop in Fargo? I don't know. I've never seen that. Not show. in Fargo, but in uh, okay. Yellowstone, right? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's starting to get typecast a little bit. But they're very, he plays a very different character. Like he's clownish and funny in Reservation Dogs. And in this, uh, this, this show, he's very serious and very like, you know, of the land and knows traditions. He has his dark past, or like the, he has his past that you kind of gradually are starting to learn about. Mm-hmm. He shoots people in the leg, you know, on purpose. Okay. And I know that actor too. I can't remember his name right now, but it's so a, is he, it more, he's is a it kind big of, dude. Did you guys ever see Life on Mars? Because it was set, it's a cop show set in the 70s. Jason Omar <laughs> is in it. And it it kind of has a look at policing in the 70s and kind of the no holds barred, get him to confess at any 
time tough guy police mm-hmm. trope was that evident at all there are situations where Zon McLaren's character has to be tough like that mm-hmm. and he's more I guess he, for me he's more about keeping the community safe you know especially when this murder happens getting to the bottom of what or who is who's out there doing this to these people so yeah so you know but he does do the tough guy act a couple of times so yeah but there's like there's a there's some kind mm-hmm. of trauma in his past that is, mm-hmm. is uh that is egging that on that behavior that is creating that behavior so i haven't figured all that out yet mm-hmm. so, yeah it's gradually coming out and when he shoots ryan begay who's the actor who the guy he's a ryan begay he's a huge hulking muscular man and i know him in real life and he's a huge husking he's a huge muscular man so he's like attack ryan begay's attacking him with an axe and so zah mcclaren who i actually met in real life and is like a tiny like you know very thin in shape dude uh he shoots him in the leg but he has to because it's like because of this fight but it's not because he's like i'm a badass and I, i'm just this. no it's like oh this guy's gonna fucking kill me if i don't shoot him in the leg he's like <laughs> but then he they have that conflict after that because he's walking he's limping around now because he got shot in the leg i guess it was a really good shot yeah and he went to ihs and they told him just to suck it up <laughs> he got some ibuprofen and he got some <laughs> <on his way. laughs> they didn't get him crushed to walk out <laughs> <laughs> just one just one because they don't a wooden one too <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't have two <laughs> But yeah, I can't wait till you guys see it, and then yeah, we can and hear what you guys think. Also, so yeah. overall, is it worth watching? Continuing on watching? Yeah, I think so. It's I have it. to because I'm writing something about it. So. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> and you do too. Uh, yeah. But I think I think if you're a fan of you know the crime stories, the mystery, the murder mystery stories, then yeah, you're gonna like it. And I think I think it's a really as people who those of us here that watch and kind of like study and observe these things and create things as well. I think it's important to know what how these these writers are operating within these um, within the confines of this project. Like you know, it's like here is like you've been hired to write hired to write this story, write it and see you know you know what to do, you know what not to do. I mean, I, I really think it's a good idea. It's an interesting concept to have like this, 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 they're working on this big project. I think it's, I think I said it was like five million, I read somewhere it's five million an episode. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, that's a lot of money to be, you know, you're, you're, you're writing as a staff, you know, a person on this show and then, you know, native and all that. It's like, yeah, you've been tasked to make something that's has, you know, it's a, it's a big project. So it's like, although, you know, as we've talked about, like the, the conflict there is like, it's, kind of focused on witchery and, and then this kind of like this concept of um, a white guy writing about Indians and being, you know, fascinated by those aspects. It's fascinating. I think we should, it's, we should all watch it and see how they, how it turns, how it turns out. You know, I mean, there's probably- a lot of press coming out, a lot of uh, like a uh, fashion, a lot of photographs of them and nice clothes and all the press is coming out. Like it seems like today. Yeah. Rolling stone deadline variety. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to read any of that, so I don't want to be influenced by. It. I want to though. I've read little bits here and there, but I try to stay away from it. But you know, sometimes you have to, to get some of the inside stories to mm-hmm. make sure that you pass it along to your readers. So, yes. so you're going to recommend it to your read- your readers and your audiences. 
Yep, I am. And, and a lot of it is because, you know, there are Native creatives behind it. You know, I want to support them and support the actors that are involved in it. Zahn is somebody that we talk about a lot because he, we talked about him a lot when he was in Westworld because of the, the one episode that was all in Lakota. And then he keeps popping up. You know, he was in a, what is that movie? Um, a Stephen King, Dr. Sleep, you know, and he's been in a lot of stuff. He's been in Dr. Sleep. He was in uh, Hawkeye. You know, so he's, he keeps popping up in different places that aren't necessarily made by Native creatives. So he's one of our guys that, you know, we talk about a lot on our side because he's, he's doing a lot of things now. And we're going to see yeah. him in Echo, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be in Echo. Yeah. And also like with what, what Jason said is like how we have to set within the parameters that we're giving at times. And in a way, it's kind of like, it's like a slight, it's a step forward, but with a slight step back, it sounds like with this show. Because we have Native creatives as the writers who are in the room, the director. You're always going to be setting within the confines of whatever that show is, especially if it's a IP, right? And so that would be interesting to know what, what that backstory was like of how it was to fit within it. Like you said, like some people just said, no, I'm not going to do it because of fill in the blank, because I don't want to touch of that, any of that. And then those, those others who came in, you know, needing a paycheck or whatever are just really like the story in the show, come in and say, yeah, I'm going to write it and I'll fit it within what I can do with this, with what I'm giving. And I think I can create something really great out of this. I, I almost wonder if like, um, uh, given the choice, any native writer would actually even do this. If given the choice of like, hey, let's just give you $5 million an episode or whatever. Like, what do you want to do? I, 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 if they did, I don't think they will. I don't think they would. I don't think a person would be like, I want to do Tony Hilleman. You know, I don't know if that would happen, but if they did, and I'd heard a couple of friends of mine mention this recently, they're like, what if they just like completely redid it that weren't even like beholden to the source material whatsoever and just created a whole new, like they're an indigenous show, which it is an indigenous show, but it's like, you don't have to be talking. It's a whole new show, you know, just something that we would do how we would do it. Yeah, that, I think that to would, me be, would be fascinating. Yeah, and that was my thought too. Like, again, I'd have to revisit the books because I, 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 you know, it's been a kid since I've read them and mm-hmm. to even remember what happens. But I think that that's, that's something to be thinking about because like, I'm assuming that there's no hardcore Tony Hillerman fan who's going to go on Twitter and blast the show. <laughs> you never <laughs> know. Ruin my Tony Hillerman. <laughs> I'm really interested in the takes actually when these when these come out like because it does showcase Navajo culture but then you know I wonder like how 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 comfortable some people would be with like show you know showing some of these maybe risque elements of taboo subjects or whatever yeah we kind of ran into that when we were talking about Thunderheart and Mm -hmm. you know how it was shot all on the res and involved elders and stuff and so you know they seemed to get the stamp of approval from the native nation they were working with was the navajo nation consulted or anything do we know the chief is that what chief navajo nation did release a statement about being proud about being involved in being i guess being asked to be involved in the production of it so yeah they were they were definitely contacted i don't know how much interaction they had or how much input they had on things and they shot on, I think they had shot on two different Pueblos out here. And I want to say they might have even used, like, there's a, a, a new studio, a Pueblo, I think it's a Pueblo studio that um, out here that has, they, they basically repurposed an empty casino. I think it's Cities of Gold Casino. And they just like made it into like a studio. And it's been sitting there for a little bit, I think during COVID maybe, but um, it sounds like they may have gotten to use it this time. 
So there's definitely like native input into this, not even um, including the staff writers and the director. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool that they're they're diversifying into like a studio, especially in New Mexico. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I read that today. I mean, I, don't hold me to that, but I'll have to. But I, I think they might have actually utilized that studio a little bit. Any final thoughts from our professional reviewers? <laughs> You know, when it comes to the production value, I think it looks really good. You know, the setting is good, the the costumes and everything, and you know the the authenticity of it. If you, it's so weird because you have to look at it from the perspective of a non-native viewer too. So the authenticity of it looks looks legit. You know, um, those of us who maybe know a little bit more about the culture, yeah, it looks legit. But it, you know, I guess the the storyline and the writing is what's really going to make or break it with our native audiences. Is what I think. Uh, with our non-native audience, I think they're really going to like it because they're not going to know one way or another, unless they're immersed into that, to the Navajo culture, they're really not going to know one way or another. This is truly how things are on the reservation. And, uh, but yeah, the, but the one thing that, like Jason said, that's missing is that accent, that, that Navajo accent that <laughs> most of us do know, because we all, I'm pretty sure we all know Navajos <laughs> some from uh, Arizona or Mexico. So, but yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a good story. I think it's going to be a, a good um, six episodes is good. It's not drawn long drawn out, you know, like, um, you know, it's not like 20 episodes or, you know, like The Walking Dead or anything. So it will be, it'll be, I think it'll be easy to get into and easy to follow for viewers. So I think they'll really like it. What do you say, Jason? Uh, I'm still digesting it, I guess. You know, I, I want to finish the last three episodes um, and really kind of just go back and, and just kind of think about what a, the thing that I'm thinking about is just that really the kind of like um, that really stays on my mind is like a like Reservation Dogs was just immediately easy to get into. And it was just like I I, it, I just jumped in and went through all of them real quick. It helps that they're, it's funny and it's comedy and it's half hour or whatever. This, I guess this it's a different approach. It's a whole different aesthetic. It's a, almost like a procedural. It's a thriller. It's a one tribe. Uh, and it, it's it's. The show is pretty kind of serious. So the whole tone, the whole aesthetic, the whole approach is completely different. Plus it's the seventies. So it's like, it's a very different type of native show and it's different than uh, Rutherford Falls. You know, like Rutherford Falls is very different than uh, Reservation Dogs to me. So this is a different entry point. This is a different entry into this new genre. This is like the, the third big show that we have now. Like it seems like that's native kind of led by, written by native people. So I'm thinking about all these things right now, like all, how, what all of that means and like whether or, not I, whether or not I like it or not, I don't think it's relevant for, for me to say or to anyone really. It's just I'm kind of thinking more in terms of big picture and like what this, what this means for this, this new movement that we have right now that, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad the, the Native writers got a chance to, <clears throat> to work within this, with work on this project, within the confines of this project. And I'm sure they were given a lot of like, it looks like to me that they're not crossing any weird boundaries or, yeah, it's just, it's very fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating time for native TV and movies, but TV also, mostly. Yeah, I mean, we talked about before, you know, the discussion of what's next for native cinema and it was genre, the genre thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, now that everybody's told their creation story and, how they got screwed over by the colonists. Now it's kind of time to be in the genres. So we've had situation comedies and now we've got a police procedural, you know, we're missing a rom-com. <laughs> totally. We get on that. <laughs> but I and think within the genres, we got horror. 
Yeah, yeah, Bar- Bar- Quantum. Yeah. And I think within these genres, you really get the the uh, the option to, or the ability to express yourself without having to be be to to be beholden to like trying to teach things and trying to like push push out your culture and teach people and exploit things. You could just you have a you have a genre that you're working in. And so yeah. all the stuff that you're the story that you're writing is kind of you're trying to tell like a, a genre story. And then the things that you that, that that are indigenous will come out that are interesting just naturally and you don't have to like you're not trying to like push it out or anything. Yeah, which we again we talked about that vomiting of tropes that mm-hmm. we feel like that we've got to get out and dispel the whole I'm part native of, you know, I hear you guys don't have to pay taxes. All of that stuff that kind of we want to sweep I'm out. I'm on Indian time. time. <laughs> Get it? So it is yeah. nice to be able to operate in the genre and just tell a good story that happens to feature natives. I think that's really what ideally that's my favorite type of thing. Well, thanks for joining us, you two. I'm looking forward to this. I appreciate all your time and your insight into Dark Winds, not Dark Wing. <laughs> duck Wing. Dark Wing Duck, man. Dark Wing Duck. And thanks to everybody for tuning in to our second season of Real Indigenous, where we talk about everything on our screen and in between. Is that right? Good enough. Okay. <laughs> So Kiana Pak for listening and thank you again to our guests and be sure to tune in to AMC plus for dark winds, support our native creatives so that we get more. Okay. So we talked about dark winds with our professional reviewers and the next day we got an email about a round table being hosted by the native American journalists association featuring the showrunner and the writer and several of the stars of Dark Winds. The director also. Oh yeah, all the above the line people were there. So we might take this chance to answer some of the questions that we brought up during the review that were answered and or asked and answered during the round table. So thanks to Native American Journalists Association for putting that together and inviting me and Tully. And as a special perk, I got to see the screener for the first episode of Dark Winds. Just thinking back about the episode and how, I mean, I know that Jason and Noetta were trying to not give away anything and they did a really good job. They were very confused about the 70s, but that was brought up during the discussion at the round table and the books were set in the 70s, turns out. And they made a conscious decision not to move them forward because it was, a, was it Chris Ayer that said that he wanted to leave the forensic science in the 70s? I believe it was Graham okay. Rowland. Okay. Who is the, what is he, the creator? And the creator, I, and he wrote the pilot, they said. Right. And he's Chickasaw. Chickasaw and Choctaw. Is he your cousin? <laughs> he may well be. I better look him up. Yeah, I'm give him a job. <laughs> one of the first questions that came up or one of the first things that they wanted everybody there at the round table to know is that 85% of the production team was native. They shot 70% on the lands of two of the Pueblo people. They consciously chose not to shoot on the Navajo reservation because of COVID. 
which I found very interesting. I didn't realize that they were shooting it during the lockdown, which is when reservation dogs would have been shooting their pilot as well. So they were using those lands for locations, but they also used the old casino that had been changed over to a studio with a back lot so that they were able to build out sets. And they used the Navajo consultants to build things like from scratch, they said. And they all said that they were very excited to tell a Tony Hillerman story through a native point of view. So what, what am I forgetting from all of that introduction? That's correct. And um, one of the thing, other reasons they talked about shooting the story, setting the story in the 70s, Zahn says like, you know, like this was a time when there was like a lot of big shit happening during the 70s. You know, he had AIM, you had uh, Iqua be- becoming something, and he also had the, uh, uh, I don't know if there's an actual term for it, but in that time during historic, in history, there was a, uh, what would you call it? Forced uh, sterilization? Yeah, forced sterilization of, of, yes. of Native women. The way the, that the, the actress, was it Jessica Matten who was, who was the other one that was on there? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, Jessica Matten talked about it. It sounds like these are going to kind of come up as issues in the episodes. And I have not seen any episodes. So you might want to go in more insight on that, Angela, to kind of tell us what's going on. Well, and Zahn made the point that he grew up in the 70s. So he was, he had actually auditioned for the, the film in the 90s, he said. But he, his experiences, his lived experiences were in the 70s during AIM, during the occupation of Wounded Knee, Alcatraz, all of that stuff. And I know in the past podcast, we've discussed about the whole, what are we calling it? TP sweeping, where we throw all of the tropes in is that we can. And what I really liked about this first episode is it was much more organic, the things that they were throwing out there. And maybe it was because they were conversations that were between Native people that already knew what was happening, that it was just, it was just kind of like a throw, almost a throwaway line, but it had a huge impact because it was said so casually, I thought. I really appreciated that in the, in the pilot. And it, I mean, and that's true about a couple of things, actually. What, what are some of the other things they talked about? It sounded like in the books, the issues of those political, social uh, policy type issues were not talked about. And so because we brought in all Native writers, right, in the writing room, is that, is that what we understand? That's what Graham said. He, he said that he was consciously giving the power to the Native writers on the staff. It's, it's almost like they almost kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, but they kind of flip this idea where origin of the writing, white dude is writing about Navajo people. And then we kind of come full circle where we take this white man's perception and turn it into an indigenous led kind of story. So in a way we're kind of like, you know, flipping the script on it. And so I think that kind of probably was the influence of like, you know, you know we're in this era, in this place, and in this time period where we're having like these real fucking indigenous shit going down and it's important to talk about that. And you and I talked about that. Like, will it lean into more of the, um, the uh, what do you call it? The trauma it? porn. Trauma porn by bringing up these issues. And one of my, my response was like, we don't really talk about the sterilization of, of women, native women. So to put that in a mainstream audience, that may be something that's important, right? 
Well, Longmire actually had an entire episode on it. Okay. Everybody loved Longmire. So that came up in that episode of Longmire. But there's also... No, I only watched the first episode and it does lean into the mystic Indian stuff a little bit. So I'm, but the, but the end kind of gave it a twist. So I'm really, really excited to see where it goes after this, because it may be leading us down the, the trail towards mystic Indian arts, witches and stuff like that. And then take a hard right turn into something more realistic. I'm really excited about seeing the next episode. I'm not going to lie. It was quite the cliffhanger at the end of the first episode. <laughs> the question came up to the cast about character development. And Zahn was very enthusiastic about Tony Hillerman and the world he created and all the heavy lifting that he did creating these characters. So he said it was really easy for him because he grew up back then and was very familiar and that the characters were so well-rounded in the books. Now, I couldn't, I missed what Kiowa said about that. Did you catch that? Did he talk about his character development at all? He did. I'm not, I'm kind of, I'm not really remembering right now. I believe his father wasn't a police officer, right? Is that what he said? His, his father was a police officer. It was then, one of his relatives, yeah. And, um, and, but one of his things, and I guess it's not talking out of context because he talked about it in a thing, is that like, he does have issues with law enforcement has had where he's had interaction with law enforcement in a very negative way, it sounded like. I mean, he didn't go into details or anything, but he kind of talked about how it's like, yeah, I didn't really do the ride alongs because I didn't want to be stuck in a cop car. I'd rather not do that, he was basically saying. And uh, and so like, you know, he did talk that part of it, but also he understood like being con- connected to this character because his character is someone who's a kind of, lack of a better word, but a displaced native, right? And a native who grew up in a different area than the reservation, went to law school, you know, was around mostly non-natives. And that's how he was because uh, he was, he grew up in, was he the one who grew up in California? Or was that the creator? The, the creator grew up in California. Actually, the creator said that he divided his time between California and Oklahoma, which is why he connected with the Jim Chi character is being disassociated from any world which Kiowa brought up that he grew up on the res and then moved to Mesa and lived among the Mormons is that what he said that's what it was yeah yeah it was the Mormon so his so both of them Kiowa and the uh the creator Graham Graham Rowland so they talked about kind of this displaced idea of what and that's how they kind of latch on to those kind of ideas and how that is a basis of that, the character. I believe it's Jim Chi, is it right? Is yeah, he playing? That's right. Yeah, not, not Kim Chi, which is, which is a food. It's but a Jim food. Chi. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so they talked about how that, that connected to, at least with Kyle, that was just connected to the character. This place kind of feeling and, and having to get back to the, to the res, get back to the people, but still feeling like almost like an outsider. Yeah. I might be putting words in his mouth, but. That was kind of the thoughts I had. Yeah, and they, I think they all said that it was hard to learn Navajo, which would explain why Jason didn't hear any Navajo accents yeah. per se, because right. they were all learning it as they went. Somebody asked, oh, the moderator asked Chris Ayer how he prepared for directing all of this again, at which point he said it, that he prepared physically. Did you understand that? I didn't understand that. No, I didn't understand it at all. Okay. I didn't know if he was like working out or I think he said something about hydrating. 
I don't know. I don't know. Because <laughs> he's out in the desert. You got to drink all that water. <laughs> That's true. Well, oh, and that was one thing that came up in the conversation was that they wanted to give a sense of how desolate it is out on the res and that sense of danger that the Navajo cops face because they have to drive two hours to answer a call and they don't have any backup and they don't know what they're walking into. And I, oh, something happened while they were shooting. An Apache uh, police officer was killed in the line of duty. Right. So that to them just drove home the fact that the, the area is so vast and they don't have the manpower or the resources to have somebody there in a hurry. That was that sense that the showrunners wanted to have. It's just how lonely it is out there. I'm trying to look up the, uh, I'm wondering if it's this guy, the White, Ma- White Mountain Apache police officer. Yeah, they wanted to have a screening there now that COVID has kind of calmed down. But mm-hmm. then that gentleman was injured and so was unable to, so they decided um, to postpone. But they yeah. wanted to go ahead and premiere it on AMC. So that's when it'll happen. You found out that the series is called Dark Winds. But that's just like a generic title. It's not based on the book, Dark Wind. It's based on the first. So during the opening credits, you're right. It does say Dark Winds, but that is the overarching series title because the first episode was based on Listening Woman. And that's what it says in the credits. And so somehow Jason and Noetta completely missed that card in the credits. (laughs) Well, it is. Well, I'm assuming they saw the same screener you did, but I was wondering if they got an early cut of the screener to where it didn't have the credits on it. We'll give them that. Maybe, I don't know. So on these these books, like it starts with Jolie Porn as the character, right? And then it goes into Jim Chi coming in like later on. Yes. And it had something to do with like the rights to the story or something. I uh read that somewhere, which I found interesting, but they i mean they kind of throw them all together with a new character that jessica plays and and they remarked on that too about like the need to put like a a a female character since you know these books were written in the 70s they're you know by a white man yeah so it's going to be male-centric yeah and they felt like putting a female character as a police officer and there's two female characters who are in the police job. There's one who's a dispatch and one who is our main character. And her name is Bernadette Manuelito. Yes. And I like her character very much. Yeah. And she's, she's a tough, tough as nails character, right? And I think she's more distrustful of the newbie. Okay. Because he's an outsider. Okay. Which is fair. You know, in but she's not life, a gruff. What is it, a gruff? Oh, she's not a grizzled lady cop. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Candace. (laughs) But there's some really good like zingers between Joe Lee Porn and Jim Chi when they do some ride-alongs that I enjoyed. At some point during the round table, the host asked, you know, what makes this different? What what do you want people to walk away with? And I really liked Zahn's answer. He said, we've been telling stories for thousands of years but we're just getting control of our own stories now. And I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of our great actors, Jay Silverheels, Graham Greene, Tantu Cardinal, 
and all the people that have come before have that have really paved the way and that this is American history. Native stories are American history. Jessica chimed in and said that they, you know, this year or this past year has really kicked down the door for Native people storytelling and it's really humanized our characters. Chris was saying that it's his responsibility. I think it was Chris that said that, that it's his responsibility to keep the door open mm-hmm. now that it's been kicked down by Sterling, by Sierra, and now by Chris. Well, originally by Chris. Originally, right? by, yes. <laughs> now he's just keeping it open. So yes. he's coming back. He keeps coming back to do Jolie Foreign Mysteries to make sure that door stays <laughs> off, off the hinges. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm, you know, that just, it echoes everything that our show, all of our showrunners have said about, you know, being just because they're the first, they don't want to be the last. And who knows before that, I guess James Youngbeer. Okay. He may have been the first. <laughs> oh, it's the studio is called Camel Rock Studios. Okay. And they have a hundred acres in their back lot. And then they built the sets inside the old casino. And then somebody asked, you know, what, what's next, of course, because, you know, it's Hollywood. So what's next? So they said that Hillerman had a lot of great stories to tell and that they're really excited to tell them through the native POV. Graham said that he really wants to start looking at residential school stories. Oh, oh Chris said to watch for episode six. He said it was super exciting. I can't remember why. I don't think he gave it away, but he said that episode six was a banger of an episode. Did he literally say it was a banger? No. So there's about 18 of these Joe Leapor and Jim Chi novels right now. Oh, God. So got plenty of books to choose from. Didn't you say his daughter took over after he passed? Yeah, she wrote a couple of them, yeah. Yeah, so there might be even more. They may last forever. Well, and Graham had a really nice thing to say at the end that you know, these stories just show that as humans, we're more alike than different and that the public seems to want more. They want more reservation dogs. They want more Rutherford Falls. Hopefully they want more dark, dark winged duck, dark winds. Is dark winged duck, is he indigenous? Nobody should be. So that's, that sums up what I remember from the round table. That's pretty much it. That's, that covers it pretty well. I think, good job, Angela. Ace reporter. Angela starts on the beat, <laughs> asking the tough questions no one would ask. Watching the movie or TV show like a true reviewer, getting those screeners. I have to say, I have to say, when I opened that email and it said I could watch episode one, I squealed. So, I was oh ready. yeah, I bet I would have got excited. <laughs> oh shit, I got excited! Look at the screeners! the shit out of it. I was. I'm gonna go on fucking my media <laughs> socials. I did notice that I think High Country already published a story about the Roundtable. Yeah. Uh, Indian Country Today, I think, published something about it. So, yeah, big shout out to Native American Journalists Association, NAJA, for doing that because, you know, they're like a good group. Are you a member? I am. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it's good. So, thanks to all those cats out there. Good reporting peoples offer that for everyone and to get that situated. All that good fun stuff. So that's our addendum to our Dark Winds Season 2 Real Indigenous opener. Tune in. Be sure you tune in to Dark Winds. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We now have a police procedural in our genre bag of tricks. So that's exciting. So Keep it coming. And keep it real. The Real Indigenous.